Are you ready for the word this morning? Father, we just thank you that you are such a good, good father. Drew was talking about father to the fatherless, and that's what I titled my message this morning, Father to the Fatherless. Okay. This morning, I want to talk about, you know, a lot of times, some of the things that we learn we learn by watching somebody make a really big mistake and then we don't have to make that same mistake. It's like, thank God we can learn from others' mistakes that we don't have to go through all of them ourselves. It's like, and that's going to be part of the message this morning. We're going to get into some, we're going to get into some meat, some truth uh, that's right out of the Bible. And then I want to just talk about the, the incredible joy of being a father. Um, think, I'm going to start out with, actually, how many biological dads, how many biological fathers do we have here this morning? Awesome. How many were raised in a home without a father. Oh, oh that's, that's significant. Uh, significant number of both. Um, how many of you would consider that in your life you've had a spiritual father? That's besides your biological dad. Spirit, spiritual fathers besides... Oh, that's awesome. It's great. How many of you would say that you have been a spiritual father to somebody? Mm. All right, how many spiritual moms do we have in the house? Oh, my. Well, I should have taken account here. I think it might be just slightly lopsided. Well, I want to... <clears throat> the passage, the, the scripture that, that we're going to go to is Old Testament, 1 Samuel. I'm going to start with um, a little bit of the first, first chapter. And then we're going to go through about the first three chapters. And, and this story, I've, I've preached this before with a whole different... Uh, a whole different bent to it, thinking of, you know, the amazing things that Samuel did and how Samuel first began to hear the voice of the Lord. But I want to, this morning, the focus is going to be on something that Samuel definitely learned and did not want to repeat in his behavior. You know, when I do uh, premarital counseling, one of the questions that I, that I always ask is, what, what is it... I mean, before we're finished, probably second or third time, it's like, what is it that happened in your home, the home that you grew up in, that you definitely want to take and bring into your marriage? It's like, list two or three or four or five things that, that happened in your home that you're excited, that, that you want to carry over, that you want to see in your marriage. And then on the other hand, it's like, okay, do the same thing. What happened in your home that you definitely do not want to bring into your marriage? It's like, that's definitely revealing and interesting to, to, to end up seeing, experiencing, uh, walking through with, uh, with young marriage. And speaking of young marrieds, it's just awesome to have Ryan and Christy Brodeen in service this morning. Well, at least Ryan. Christy was here. Yeah. First time in church as a married couple, and already she skipped out. <laughs> Ryan, we're talking about fathers and husbands here. You need to work on that a little bit. <laughs> Priest of your home, you know? <laughs> okay, quit it. Are you ready? 
Yeah, you were ready a while ago, so. Uh, I'm going to use these names and maybe even make a nickname because I am just, I have a hard time just with the basic English language sometimes when I get up here on a microphone. And to say some of these Old Testament names, that's a challenge. Uh, there was a man named Elkanah, Elkanah, Elkanah that he... First problem, the first problem I can see in his life, chapter 1, even verse 1, not where he was from or his name, but he had two wives. And these two wives, one of them had no children. The one with no children was just absolutely haunted, taunted, bothered and troubled by the one who did have children. She tortured her. And there's a great, great reason to only have one wife right here. He had to be referee part of the time, you know. So so we moved down. They they would go. Helcana would take his family, families, and make the journey to to give the offering, to go give the offering once a year, to go to the temple, to go to, uh, yeah, to take care of business. What he knew that he was supposed to do, he was a godly man with two wives, and he uh, would end up taking this trek, this journey. So we're going to start on verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, and some of the struggles that, that, that he was having in trying to be everything to everybody, trying to be a great husband to his wife, trying to be, you know, to fulfill every need in her life, and the other wives too, I'm sure, but Elkanah, her husband, Hannah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? It's like, oh. The answer to that is I can't be, (laughs) you can't be everything to me. I have a longing in my heart. I want a child. So Hannah arose after that. They had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest, everybody say Eli the priest. This is where it starts getting more interesting. Was sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she, Elkanah, was in bitterness of soul, prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, she's, she's going double on this, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And how many know that God hears us no matter how we're praying. We don't have to be praying out loud where the whole world can hear us. We just have to be praying from our heart. But she was also moving her lips. I thought that, that's, that's interesting. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. But God was hearing her heart. Eli was watching what was happening, watching her mouth. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. It's like, well, this seems that the, 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 the deterioration of the temple was definitely taking place for him to be looking and expecting, even looking for somebody there to be drunk. It's like, but Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit, I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She has emptied her soul in the tabernacle before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. It's like my heart, my spirit, I've emptied out before the Lord. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. All right, I hear you're not drunk. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked him. 
So Eli was speaking a blessing over her. It's like, okay, whatever you've asked of the Lord this day, this morning, this afternoon, I pray to God and I bless you with that petition that he will answer it. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away, went her way, and she ate and her face was no longer sad. Let's just say the blessing in the house of the Lord, once she had emptied her soul before the Lord and made her petition, heard the word from the man of God, Eli the priest, she went away with great hope in her heart, which changed her whole demeanor. Does this make sense? When we come to the church, the house of God, we pour our heart out before him. We hear an encouraging word. We can leave with glistening, Steve Backlund says, glistening hope. Then they, she and her husband, arose early in the morning, worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah and Elkanah. You know, they ended up engaging in what the activity that ends up producing children. Let's call that. Uh, now the man of the Lord went back again the next year to make offering again. I'm, I'm giving you the short version. To make the offering again, but she stayed home because she had given birth to that son, that male child that she had asked for, and she was going to wean him before she ended up taking him and presenting him to Eli before the Lord to be in the Lord's service, as she had promised. How long do you suppose that in those days, in that time, that it took to wean a child? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I figured, it, that it probably would be at least three years, and, um, you know, when Christy Lynn's not here right now, but when she was born, her mother could just not hardly quit. I think she was almost 48 months before she was weaned. No, wait a minute, no, 24, 24, 24. Oh. 24 months. So the child was three or four years old when... He was then, she kept her word. She presented him before the Lord and said, For this child I prayed, the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord. It's like, you know, when we, when we dedicate children to the Lord here. It's like, that's basically what we're doing and, and, and promising that we will live our lives before these children in such a manner that when they become of age, they are definitely want to end up living for the Lord. And then Hannah prayed this prayer. She prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. And I'm imagining that she was looking at her sister wife and just like, look, look, look what I got. Look what I... Because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. Everybody say actions are weighed by the Lord. Our actions. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. They got hungry. And the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, the Lord makes alive, he brings down to the grave, and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes 
and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. By strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Powerful. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. The child, a three- or four-year-old child, ministered before the Lord and Eli the priest. Now, let's talk about Eli's sons. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. Why and how were they corrupt? They did not know the Lord. Now, how would full-grown sons that have grown up in the church, in the tabernacle, under the priest's supervision, under his guidance, under his fathering, nurturing, how would they grow up and not know the Lord? Do you know any kids that have grown up... How many fathers here grew up in church? Awesome, and you're still here. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. I don't want to go into the next passage here other than saying, these guys... When people were bringing their offerings and bringing the best, the first fruit, the, the, the amazing animals and stuff, these guys were saying, okay, I want that, I want that, I want that. They were living off, because of the privilege of being a part of the priesthood, they were living off that privilege, profiting from it by taking the best pieces of meat that showed up for themselves. Are you following me? Okay, we don't need to read all of that. But, uh, um, and when somebody would try to argue with them, they said, give it up or we're going to take it from you by force. It's like, oh, so these were not good guys. They were corrupt before the Lord. But Samuel, everybody say, but Samuel, ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Now, his mom and dad would show up every year, and, bring, and his mom would bring him a new robe. Of course, he's a growing boy, so he should have a new robe every year. But they really took care of him, and they watched his progress because they had dedicated and given him to the Lord, placed under Eli's care and supervision. And I, and I, I look at that, and I think, man, did they have no discernment? Did they not look at what was happening there? It's like, no, but they trusted in the Lord. And God provided, looked out for them. And I believe this was part of what Samuel's teaching and what Samuel was learning um, from this whole, the whole process. And when they, when they went to the temple after they had given him and had gone back a few times, the Lord spoke to, uh, Eli spoke to Elkanah and his wife and said uh, to, to Hannah, the Lord give you descendants, spoke to Elkanah, speaking of Hannah, said the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord, since you have given this son, then they would go to their own home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old and he heard of the things that his sons were doing and had done to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to him, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. It's like, my question right here is like, 
Why do you not have any idea what your sons, the priests, are doing in your tabernacle? It's like, are you paying no attention? Did you not raise them up at all? Does this make sense to you? It's like, whoa. Has to wait until he's old and start hearing it from the people. Why do you do such things, he says to his sons? For I hear of your evil dealings with all the people. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. Who? So the priests in the tabernacle are causing the Lord's people to transgress. That's a bad thing, right? It's like, oh, my goodness. So what's Samuel learning from all this? That's, I think it's a great thing for him to be watching, to be learning from this. As he is diligently doing what he's called to be, he's serving the Lord, he's ministering before the Lord, as Eli instructs him. Like, huh, really interesting. Sometimes, sometimes, it is much easier for the man of God to end up raising up somebody else than it is to end up raising up his own children. I mean, we can look around churches and we can just see that happen, can't we? Don't you know some PK that's gone off the wild, uh, into the wild blue yonder? And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. Samuel's first prophecy, we're going to skip fast forward here a little bit because i got a lot more places that I want to go. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord, this is something that I, I the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Everybody say rare. Yeah, why? Why? It was because of the shape that, that the tabernacle had become in, the level of the priesthood. It's like, yuck. Why would you expect God to be there and his presence to be there, him to be sharing his word to be? It's like, man, until he got somebody that he could trust. Samuel came along. It was rare in those days, but Samuel got old enough and the Lord began to speak to him. And as he spoke to him, he told him what was going to happen to Eli and his sons. Now, that'd be a little bit hard for a teenager to, to, to absorb, to grasp, and decide what to do with, wouldn't it? I'm going to kill these guys. They're not going to last. They're, they, they are not going to be around forever, so pay attention, Samuel. Sure enough, that's what happened. You can read the rest of chapter 3. You know what, I think I should just take about two more minutes and do jump into 3, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something. This is after he woke him up. He spoke to him three times before Samuel realized he thought Leo, Eli was waking him up and calling him, and he ran into, into Eli three times, and he said, it's not me, Samuel. What you need to do is listen to that voice. If you hear it again, say, Lord, here am I. Speak to me. So that's what happened. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Hmm. No correction there. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for the sacrifice or offering forever. Uh, there's a man of God also that it appeared to, to confirm the story to, to Eli, and, and he spoke the word of God to him, and he said, because you have chosen your sons over me, you're going to lose out. 
because you have chosen your sons over me. It's like, that's like, wow, wow. It's like when you would, you want so much, I was just trying to think of this, like how would, how would that happen? It's like when you want so much for your sons to be in a good environment, to be in the right place so they can and will be saved, that you will put them in a position and keep them in a position and a place that is damaging to the kingdom of God and to others, just hoping that your sons will be saved in that environment. Oh. Does this make sense? Harsh, huh? Sounds pretty harsh right there, but I believe that I believe that that's what happened. And when we look around and, and when we think about our children and think, oh, you know, could you, I, I've, I've actually had this question asked me, you know, could, could you put my son, could you put my daughter in this place to do this thing? Because I believe that will save them. I believe that will help them. It's like, oh, do you think, I'm just going to pose this question to you right now. Do you think that in so doing that we would be able to experience the kind of presence that we have in this house if we were to do that? I'm going to ask that one again. Do you think if we were to make those kind of compromises that we would have the presence of God in this house that we get to experience every time we come in the doors if we were to make those kind of compromises. Thank you. That's almost like an amen right there. Okay. So please don't ask us to make those kind of compromises. We want your children to be saved. We believe that your children will be saved. And we stand on the promises. We're gonna, I'm going to share one story, something that I was reading when I was researching for this, that talking about shepherd. I mean, we're going to talk fairly soon about the rod and the staff. The rod and the staff of the shepherd. And, uh, and, and what they're for, what they do. But I was reading some about, about shepherds, and one of the stories that I read was, was pretty amazing. It was in the Highlands, I believe, in Ireland, where they put sheep on Sheep spend time on hillsides, and sometimes a sheep would see green grass, and so they would actually look it over and take a little bit of a leap to jump down to a next level where there was a nice patch of good green grass. And they would jump down there because the grass was greener on the other side over there, and they jump down there and start to eat. And the shepherd would mark where that sheep had jumped over, come back and check on him in a day or two because it doesn't take sheep very long to just wear out. But while they were down there, they left the rest of the sheep. They, they, they departed, separated from the group, jumped down there. And while they were down there, it's like a, a young shepherd was asking the older shepherd, like, why are we waiting? He said, well, because if we don't wait until that sheep has had his fill down there and has become weary and collapsed where he doesn't have much fight left, he said, and we, I went down there after him. He said he probably would jump over the edge without even knowing what would catch him next and kill himself. It's like, oh, wow. And so the, the, the moral of that story is that sometimes we have to end up letting our children, when they have gone astray, decided to spread their wings and see what it's like on the other side, have jumped over, end up having their fill down there before we go down and, and tie the rope around them and pull them up to rescue them. The whole adage that you hear like in, like in Celebrate Recovery is sometimes until somebody's hit bottom. It's like until they've exhausted the resources like the prodigal son. You know, until they've come to a point that come to their senses and come back around. They're, they're not ready to be rescued. And sometimes we just have to have that discernment and that patience, even over our own children. Okay. Scriptures. 
Psalms 139, 13, 14. You were formed. You have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Miraculous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So God knows us. He created us in our mother's womb, and he put the fabric, the DNA inside you that later would begin to come up and rise up like the desires of your heart as you begin to age will come, we'll come to fruition if there is a good father and mother in your life that recognize that and actually work with you in that. I don't think I worded that just all that well, but did that make sense? Okay. Then the next one is raise up a child in the way, uh, Proverbs 22, 6. Raise up a child in the way that they should go, which tags right on to. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Raise up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That doesn't say that there's not going to be sometimes a little detour that they take before they come back around, like they jump down to the greener grass for a minute and had to be rescued back up. That happens sometimes. That can happen. Uh, but when we raise up a child in the way that they should go, because God knit them together in their mother's womb. The other day I, was, uh, I saw something, Renee and I were looking at something, on. she was showing me something on a, on a YouTube uh, video, and it was, I thought it was a wedding. Gal dressed in, in, in looked like wedding clothes, and, and a guy dressed up, and he was having a baseball bat, and somebody was pitching to him, and when he hit it, it just went, poof, pink powder just flew out from that. It's like, what in the world? She said, what's well, a gender reveal? It's like, oh, a, gen a gender reveal. It's not a wedding. I thought, this is the weirdest wedding. I mean, we did some different things than the one we just did, but that was like, she said, no, that's a gender reveal. It's like, you know, the God knows that child that he's putting together in hers or his mother's womb creates that child with and for a purpose, and if that child is raised up in the way that they should go, they would not depart from that. And when I think of gender reveal, the gender was already revealed to God before that child was ever born. I never knew what any of my kids were. I wanted to be surprised. I remember when Christy Lynn came along, the, the, the doctor said, Oh, Renee, you got a big fat boy. It's like, Oh, it's a girl. Yes, so I got two of each. And what a joy it is. I, I think about being a father. It's like, you know, with my firstborn, I would like lay back on my bed, set that baby on my chest, Look eye to eye, look him in the face, and, and start making noises like, grr. And he's just like a couple, two, three months old, and he's grrring back, and he's making faces back, and you know, smiling back. And so it was, you know, it's a very special thing to be raising up a child. But um, Proverbs 22, 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, we know that every one of us, every child, everyone that's born, is born into a sinful world, a fallen sinful world, right? Everybody knows and understands that. We're born into a fallen sinful world. And so if we let our child decide on their own who they want to be, how they want to be, even what gender that they want to be? Does a five-year-old, six-year-old, ten-year-old, twelve-year-old child know or understand who they were created to be? 
Do or should they actually have the ability when foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child to be making those kind of decisions as a child? Man, that's where the father and the rod comes in. And I don't mean, okay, yeah, now I'm going to talk about the rod. Well, first we're going to go to spare the rod, spoil a child. Ver, uh, 1324, spare the rod and spoil the child. Ver, uh, he who spares his rod hates his son. Did you hear that? He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Well, let me go back to that, back to the shepherd's rod and staff. The rod, I, I studied that quite a bit here in the last couple of days, and, and, and the rod was actually what I had envisioned my whole life until yesterday, that the rod was something that was either going to be like a stick, like a bamboo stick you could beat your kid with, or, you know, what is the rod going to be? I, I, don't, I don't know. But it's only about that long. It's carved out of hardwood, and on the end, it, it's way heavier on one end. It looks like I saw pictures. In fact, in some of, the, some of them ended up having metal put into it, so it would be even heavier on one end. And that rod was something that was mostly for protection for the child, uh, for the sheep, for the child, for the child that I'm talking about. But, and a shepherd's would got so good with the rod that they could end up, and it's heavier on one end, so they could end up throwing it, and they could actually kill something with that, with that rod, throwing it accurately, or, you know, like the cops have, something that looks like the billy club, we used to call that, you know, because it's about that size, it's really weighted on one end, so it's a great weapon for somebody that comes trying to steal, kidnap, or steal sheep. So it's a great weapon, something to be used offensively to protect the child. And when they, this is something else that I thought was quite intriguing, is that that rod, they could see a sheep that was just starting to break off out of the flock. They could throw that rod accurately where that sheep was going, catch where its next step would be, and it land in front of the sheep, right by its and the sheep would jump over back into place. So it wasn't just for beating up. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. It was for their protection and for guiding their path, keeping them with the rest of the sheep on the straight and narrow. It was kind of like a warning and a directional thing. And then the shepherd's staff, which the big hook, and some of them with the second hook, so they could stick it in the ground and hook a lantern on it, or actually reach out with that thing, get a hold of a sheep, because the things were like eight feet or, or so long, get a hold of a sheep by the neck and pull it back around because it wouldn't heed the warning. Is that not interesting? So when... <laughs> Even when uh, in, in the 23rd Psalm, when David says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's like, you get a hold of me, you direct me with that staff, you jerk me, grab me by the neck and pull me back around. But you throw that rod out there to direct my path. Is this not good right here? About how we direct our children... And that, that, that rod of protection, you know, we go back to Eli and it's like, oh my goodness, if you would have known what your boys were doing, you could have made correction early, early on by not knowing what's going on in their lives and by what was happening in their everyday activities, you let them get way too far off before you tried to bring correction. It's like, man, throw your rod out there, Eli. Grab them by the neck with your staff if you have to. Get them pulled into alignment. You failed, so you and your sons all died in vain. Okay. I want to tell you one more thing. We're going to get even just a little bit deeper right here. I've talked about gender choices and how... 
we have to be very, very cautious and protective of and be paying attention to what's happening in, our, in the daily lives of our children, in their school, in the activities that they're doing, what they see online, what they see on TikTok, what they see on YouTube, the time that they spend. I was listening to, I was reading a big long article about, called The Transformation of Chip Gaines. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, everybody knows. Everybody knows. And I was reading about how they're raising their children. You know, these guys are famous and mega wealthy and and all, and how they're raising their children, and they don't let their kids have cell phones until they go off to college, because they want to control what they're exposed to, what they're seeing, what's happening in their lives. No cell phones till college. Like, holy smoke, these rich kids don't get cell phones till college. So they're paying attention to what's happening in their kids' lives. They're very interactive, and we need to be in our children's lives very, very interactive so we don't end up with Eli kids. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to throw out a... Yeah, I have... I had a dream several years ago, about 10, 12 years ago, and I'm just going to give you the really short version of that dream. It's like I was in a boat. Somebody else was driving the boat. A young lady was driving the boat. I was sitting in the middle, another lady on the other side. I had a, my grandson that I was taking care of watching, and a great big wave came over the top of that boat, and that boat just was broken to pieces, and I woke up thinking there was life jackets in the back of the boat. Why didn't I distribute life jackets? And um, I want to just throw out a life jacket right here to make sure that everyone understands very clearly because we need to speak the truth in love. When the world, when things, when things in your world break apart and come apart, you need to know that there's one place to go, and that's the Word of God. It says His Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. He'll lead us, guide us into whole truth. But I think the belt of truth is the Word of God. And the, lead, the one that leads us into that truth is the one who illuminates the Word of God to us. And that's Holy Spirit. The Bible says we've got all we need when we have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. So 1 Corinthians 5th chapter, 9 through 12. Paul talking about, I wrote to you in the last letter that I gave you, in the last epistle, don't even keep company with sexually immoral people. Keep going. Yes, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous... Man, I can just barely read that. I might have to look this up in my own... Oh, plan. Plan. Since then, you would need to go out of the world to get beyond the extortion. Now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. I want to get this really clear. It's like we're talking about Eli's boys... Uh, are even beyond a brother. They're leaders. They're priests in the church that are sleeping with the women that are at the gate, that are stealing of the, the offerings, taking it for themselves. If someone's named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even eat with such a person. What does that mean to you? That means that, you know, if, if we want to end up maintaining the purity and holiness of our church, of a congregation, that you cannot embrace somebody that is sexually immoral, that is one of these, calling them a brother in the church. Is that not clear? Am I just not reading the Word of God? So could you live together and not be sexually immoral? Well, maybe if you sleep in separate ends of the house. Uh, just a question. Like sexually immoral, sexually immoral can mean a number of different things. In fact, we'll just, we'll go ahead and read some more. 
What are the rest of them that I've put up there? For what I have to do with judging those also who are outside, I, I, I don't. But do you not judge those who are inside? Those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that. Put away from yourselves the evil person. It's like, you know, what we are, when we think of, yeah, but we're a church. We're supposed to love everybody. We are supposed to love everybody. That's absolutely true. But when somebody's not interested in coming to change their lives, it says a little leaven. That's all scripture. I'm not, I'm not preaching you what I think, what I believe. I'm just telling you what scripture says. Okay. 6, 9, and 10. 6th chapter, 9th and 10th verse. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those who live together, have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, though who's, who put idols ahead of God, and, and, you know, which was interesting that that's what Eli did. He said, you've chosen your sons over me, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor... What? Yeah. So what do you believe? Do you believe the Bible? Yes. Is that your guidebook? Yes. Is that the word of truth? Yes. Is that what Holy Spirit says? Yes. Okay. Well, i got about six minutes left to get into my sermon now. You got it. First Corinthians 4.15 yeah, can you put that up there? For, the, for though you might have 10,000 instructors or teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. It's like, I want to tell you the difference. I've written some things down, done a little bit of research, like, Teachers and fathers. Teachers and fathers. Number one, I got six of them down here. Number one, teachers disseminate information. They, do, they hand out, they give out information, which is very, very, very important because we need information. We need education. Teachers disseminate information. Fathers pour out their lives. Fathers love, care, model, and share. That's really good right there. Somebody should say, ooh, yeah. Teachers disseminate information. Fathers pour out their lives. They love, care, model, and share. Teachers illuminate. They bring to life. They, they, they illuminate principles and revelations. And, and fathers oversee. They correct. They walk along with. They encourage they aid in the life journey of their children to see that their children achieve the fullest potential, their fullest potential. Teachers look for students. I mean, when, when a teacher is going to, to, to be speaking, they love to speak to a group of, like, Hungry people, you know, when you're, when you're teaching somebody something and, and they just like draw it out of you. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can just, you can get in front of an audience that you're teaching and they're just like, they're hungry for more and they just, they draw it out of you. And that's what really uh, fills a teacher's heart right there is when people are hungry for information, hungry for what you have to bring. That's, that's awesome when a teacher gets to that, getting to speak to a group of hungry people, people that are hungry for the information that they have. Fathers look for sons and daughters, long-term relationships, so they, so they can lead their spiritual children on a journey 
to fulfill their purpose in Christ. I think it's really awesome here. There's been about three or four, uh, well, a couple couples that I've that I've asked to to parent some, to be spiritual parents to some people, and kind of and and a couple men that are that are mentoring some young men, teaching and mentoring and fathering and. I just love that when somebody is ready and steps up and says, "Hey, you got somebody for me? I, I would love to be a, a spiritual parent." And once you're vetted, the answer is yes. There is definitely somebody that you can end up teaching. Uh, number four, teachers enjoy academic success. Fathers enjoy life success walking through life, seeing their children or the, their, even their spiritual children succeed in life, walking through the journey with them. Number five, teachers have intellectual connection, things of interest with students. Fathers have a heart connection with their kids. They want to see their kids bear much fruit. Teachers want opportunities to teach. Fathers want to see their kids minister while they're overseeing them as they use their God-given gifts to expand his kingdom. Well, it's one minute till. You want to stand? Yes, and if the prayer team would like to come. I'd like to just pray a Father's, a father's blessing. Tim, 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 would you pray first? Uh, I knew you would have. then I will conclude in prayer. I just have to say, this guy is doing an amazing, amazing job of leading the men of the church. You know what? I'm not going to look at it this way. Yeah, there you go. God said to me, I can fire at will. I could bless at will. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, first of all, I want to bless all you kids. Anybody that's a kid? Okay, that means all of you. I'm so proud of you. The day you were born, I was so glad that you were born. You're not a mistake. Every time I see you, put a smile on my face. When you call me daddy, it just does something inside of me. I am so glad that you gave your heart to me. And I give my heart to you. I'm so glad that we have a relationship and I'm going to do everything I can to keep the powers of darkness from getting in between us. I pray for you. I pray for you that God will prosper you and he'll hold back no good blessing to you. And my desire is to live the rest of my life doing life with you. I want to do life with you. I hope you want to do life with me and not be offended with me because of anything that I have done that um, could bring offense. And then I want to say to all the dads in here, fathers, husbands, rise up. 
Because right now, the Lord is pouring out Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and let me tell you something, it's knocking at the door right now. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah, the spirit of Elijah upon the church to cause the hearts of the fathers to be reunited with their children and to cause the hearts of the children to be re- to be given with the children. Why? So that their posterity, their property, their future, their everything will not be shut down because when the children are at odds with the father and that's not reconciled, the children just have a hard time in life. So I'm pouring that out right now. Fathers, rise up. This is a time for you to rise up and be that priest of the household. I want to just ask the ladies, how many of you ladies want the, your, your, the man to be the, the priest of the household? I, want, I need to hear something. Hey. Okay? So I say, guys, right now is a time for you to rise up and be that man. You are sons of God. You're priests. You're uh, saints. And you are called to be a man after God's heart, which means you're chasing after him. It's time for us to stand in that place. And all you've got to do is call upon him, say, Lord, help me to do this. And I just also want to mention that we do it together as a team. We have a men's fellowship in this church, and we're just going to encourage you to do that. Amen? Amen. I just want to add one. You don't need to be done yet. I just want to, I was just reading more statistics yesterday that when the dad is in church, 93% 93% of the time, the rest of the family is as well. So, rise up, dads. 90% of all prison inmates in the United States are male. 75% of all inmates grew up without a father. 63% of all youth suicides come from a fatherless home, which is 32% past the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from a fatherless home. 85% so, of all so, children... So. It's really important that we have spiritual fathers for people that are looking to end up changing their lives. I think that let me let me bring something else now that now that we've already gone into overtime. I, how really valuable and important it is. There's two more words that I, I spent some time on and looked up, and that's like repent, repent. You know, a time for repentance and and repent in Hebrew is to consume, destroy, press, burn as in destroying the house where you live and leave it never to return to the ashes. Now in Greek it's a change of mind, reorientation, fundamental transformation of your outlook and thinking. It's like, and what does it say? Well, it, in Mark, it says, repent and be baptized, but Acts 2.38, the start of the New Testament church, after Peter ended up speaking, filled with the Holy Spirit, what must we do, they asked him. He said, repent, repent, burn the old house down, get rid of the flesh, never to return to the ash heap and be baptized to seal the deal. Be buried with Christ in baptism to be resurrected to new life with Him as we become a new creation in Christ. In that order, repent, burn the house, change your thinking so that you will be renewed by by the transforming of your mind and then be baptized to receive the power that Holy Spirit has for you. Okay, go ahead. Now, if you're standing around a dad, I want you to, a man, married, father, I want you to put your hands on him right now. And man, I want you to just put your hands out as we close. Like Lynn just preached, Holy Spirit is pouring out help right now. He's pouring out unction. He's pouring out anointing. We bless you as you guys go. 
that the Holy Spirit is pouring this out on you right now. You know, this church is a church of healing. We, we believe in healing. We believe in the prophetic word. We also believe that the Holy Spirit right now can give you an anointing that you didn't have before to be that amazing father, to be an amazing husband to your wife, to see uh, where, where their lack is in your, your, uh, with your sons and daughters so they don't turn out like Eli's kids. But most of all, that you can be a, a father like your heavenly father. So Lord, we just thank you that you're pouring this out upon my brothers, upon these awesome men of God, and that going out of this building, that they're going to have dreams and visions they're going to read the Word of God, and it's going to pop out at them. They're going to go, that wasn't in the Bible before. <laughs> and that they are rising up to your calling to be awesome, mighty men of God. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. Have a fabulous week. If you need prayer for anything, the team is up here. Happy Father's Day.